This is the Pain Information Network. 38. That's 38 plus and change. Um, come on over and visit us at Watt Me or The World According to Me. That's uh, a new podcast that I'm starting, a little quirky, but I'd love to hear from you and uh, give me some topics you want to talk about or listen to. Um, it's going to be kind of fun. Uh, we're also going to be starting a fibromyalgia um, podcast in the near future, and I'll keep you apprised at that. Um, today, we're going to talk to Andy Trescott again. I just cannot tell you what a wealth of information she is and how valuable her experience and her comments are and how she just takes a, a common problem, drills it down, finds a, finds a solution, and gets that patient better. She's so good at it. And she shares it throughout the world with her uh, generosity in, in teaching and in writing. Um, she's uh, one of the uh, greatest uh, providers of uh, pain care in the country right now. So I'd like to get right to her. Um, before we do that, though, today, please go to iTunes, leave a review, please. It really helps us. And um, if you have something you want on the show or you want to make a comment, go to paininformation.com. Um, we're, we're still building out that website. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. And uh, you can still get in touch with me, and I, I read everything. So let's uh, get right to Andrea. Welcome back, Andrea. Andrea's a regular here, and it's a, it's a fun time when uh, she comes on board. We get a lot talked about. And how you doing, Andrea? I'm doing very well, Hans. Thank you. What would you do today in Alaska? Well, I was hiking around a frozen lake in a run-walk that they called the stud run because we were all wearing our uh, grippers so we weren't slipping and sliding on the ice. But it was really a lot of fun. We had uh, grandmothers and toddlers and strollers and families and just a nice untimed walk-run around the lake. Oh, I know. It's great. Beautiful day. Mountains were out. The sun was shining. And it was a um, – and temperature in the, you know – 28 degrees so yeah but it's a dry cold where i'm in north carolina now and it's kind of a damp cold it goes right through you when i lived in colorado i was much more comfortable at uh 20 uh than 40 here so i i get it i get it well i'm glad you had a great day what are we talking about today andrea well i thought i'd talk about the thing that is probably the most common complaint that a pain doctor hears, which is low back pain. And then I'll talk a little bit about some new CDC guidelines, Centers for Disease Control, uh, regarding opioids that uh, are kind of good, kind of bad. And we're just going to have to talk about it and uh, be real interested in uh, viewer input, uh, listener input. Now, tell me about your book. You you just got your cover today. And so um, that's kind of exciting. That's a real exciting part in author's development. It really is. This is the time when it really begins to feel like it's really going to happen. This book has been a three-year project. Um, Lots of uh, friends that got involved in it. My kids, my husband. um, It's been a real family. My parents. It's been a real family project. Lots of my former fellows, lots of my colleagues and um, mentees. And so this has been a real labor of love. And the um, it is 
uh, once I saw the book cover um, with my name there on the on the front of it, it just really began to make it seem like it was going to really happen. Yeah, that's a home run. Uh, it's for for the listeners. It is really neat to see uh, the human il- illustrations in here because it's a live illustration. And who'd you use? I actually used my daughter as my model, and so she got poked and um, with blunt needles, and she got um, poked with my fingers, and I had to put her in all sorts of positions, and then the images got drawn on. I tell you, there's nothing um, – these centervolts have nothing on my daughter because she has um, she has posed for – hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures for this book in um and uh very with and then edited every word to boot so it's been as i said a real family affair chops to y'all well okay let's get started low back pain i know what i do when i see uh a patient's chart or an electronic record now and the chief complaint and the chief complaint for the listeners is what is bothering you the most right now in your own words and it's low back pain well that's like saying uh, uh, there's a parking lot full of cars it isn't just a car one might be a Ferrari one might be a Chevrolet uh, four door and they're completely different so low back pain is a description it's not a diagnosis that's one of our rules so Andrew, take us through what you do when you see those three words, low back pain. Well, the problem is, is just what you said, Hans, is that there are uh, hundreds of causes of low back pain, all of which will present pretty much in the same way. And the biggest problem is, is that the low back pain that I might have may be in the same position and feel the same as my neighbors, but it could be an entirely different problem. So the neighbor who got good relief with surgery might be pushing surgery, and the neighbor who got good relief with chiropractic might be pushing chiropractic. And the problem is, is neither of those or either of them might work well for my patient who's in front of me. So the first thing I'm doing is what I think is the most critical part, which is actually taking a history. There are a great number of clues in the history that would tell you or give you a direction to look on uh, a way to look for the causes of low back pain. So the patient who was bending over and picking up a box and felt a pop, we've assumed uh, or been sort of taught that that was coming from a pop from a herniated disc, but much more likely it was a pop from the ligaments that hold the back together. If somebody is describing um, being in a car accident and then low back pain or a slip and fall, that's actually much more likely to be a sacroiliac problem where the tailbone joins on to the hip bones. And if the patient says it switches from side to side, then it's almost always a sacroiliac problem. If it, there's numbness or pain that goes down to the the sole of the foot or all the toes, um, the only thing that each nerve goes to a different a different toe. So if it's all the toes, then it really has to be something that where all the nerves leaving the spine are coming together. And that's going to be at the sciatic nerve, most likely at the level of the piriformis, a muscle that holds that the tailbone um, in place and pinches the sciatic nerve up against the bone. So there are clues in the history that are very important. The second 
really and terribly important thing is to have the patient point to where it hurts. And it's absolutely amazing how many times that where the patient points to where it hurts is where the problem's coming from. A great example is pointing to the little knob that's on the back on either side of your tailbone. That's called the posterior superior iliac spine. And a friend of ours, Joe Fortin, who's a wonderful pain doctor, had recognized that and as a joke put together an article and he called that pointing to that spot the Fortin finger and darn if that article he put it in as a joke for because the editor was a friend and he thought yeah. it his editor the editor would get a kick out of it darned if that didn't get published and that's now one of the diagnostic tests is patient points to that posterior superior iliac spine and that's the Fortin finger it's stuck test it's stuck. <laughs> it's stuck. Um, and so where the patient, where the patient points and then a, an examination, and I'm going to walk your listeners through that, that examination, um, is really important because that will give you some clues about where the pain's coming from. And then the very last thing I do is look at the MRI. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why didn't you look at the MRI at first? Because that's where that'll tell you where the problem is. Unfortunately, it doesn't. It turns out that um, there are lots of things that will that will show up on an MRI that that actually aren't causing pain. And um, the analogy I use for the patients is that if you came to the dentist with a tooth that was bothering you and a mouthful of cavities. Not all those teeth that have cavities are actually hurting, and maybe it's a tooth that doesn't even have any cavities that's hurting, but you can't tell on an x-ray which tooth is causing the problem. And so the dentist has to tap on the teeth. The tooth that's tender is likely to be the one. If you numb up that tooth and it makes the pain go away, now you know it's that tooth. And that's, again, what makes an interventional pain physician like like you are and like I am particularly well-suited to try and figure out exactly where the problem's coming from. Um, A radiologist, Lee Jensen, in 1994 in the New England Journal of Medicine looked at 98 asymptomatic patients, patients who'd never had back pain in their entire life, stuck them in the MRI scanner, and 60% of them had herniated or bulging discs. And when they showed those films to surgeons, 40% of those x-rays were offered surgery. Now, these were in asymptomatic patients, patients who did not have back pain. Their MRIs, their images, were offered surgery. And so I think this is one of the things we find with the patients who don't get relief with surgery is pulling a tooth that's got a cavity that isn't the one that's hurting isn't going to get you any better. So it's absolutely critical to make that right diagnosis. And the, the history and the physical exam supported by the MRI. Yeah, and, and let, let me mention something here. It, I'm going to jump in because you just nailed uh, a truthism. I know surgeons that won't see a patient until they've seen the MRI, and then they decide if they'll see the patient. In other words, raise your eyebrow. If somebody has to see your MRI first before they even decide if they're going to see you. So, you know. Because they're diagnosing. I have patients who say they've seen eight different surgeons and I was the first one who ever laid hands on their back. I mean, that's, that's, crim- that's just horrible because it would be like a dentist pulling a tooth without being sure that's the tooth that's causing the problem. And so that's where I think an interventional pain physician becomes so important. So one of the ways that a, that a patient can help direct the surgeon, um, it's terrible that you have to do that, but, but you do, stand um, upright and ideally in front of a mirror 
And first of all, and put your hands on your hips, thumbs toward the back. Now, your hands should be even. If one hand is higher than the other, then there's probably a problem with the sacroiliac joint. Now, put your thumbs together in the midline in the back. And this, by the way, is how I teach doctors how to find these areas. Where those thumbs come together is going to be the midline between the fourth and the fifth lumbar vertebrae. So if you're hurting above that, then it's going to be one of the lower number vertebrae. We name the, there are five lumbar vertebrae, and so they're named L1, L2, L3, L4, and L5. And then the tailbone is actually five bones that are all fused together, and we just call that S1. So the disc is named by the two vertebrae that it lies between. Just like you would say I'm on the corner of first and main, um, you, the disc is between the fourth and the fifth lumbar vertebra, or the fifth and the and the or sorry the third and the fourth. And at the same way, the joints that hold the spine together have one piece that comes from the vertebrae above and one piece that comes from the vertebrae below. So a joint might be an L3-4, which is the one that comes from L3 from above and L4 from below. Yeah, and, and so men, if you're mention hurting, something about the facets as it relates to that too, the three joint complex. We'll, we'll we'll get to that in just one second, because if you're hurting above where your thumbs are, at the um, where they come together with the hands on top of the hip, if you're hurting above that, then the problem can't be L five S one because L five S one would be below where you are. So the structures that you're going to be feeling when you run your fingers up and down your spine, the midline structure, there in the middle of the knob you feel, that's the, called the spinous process, and that's where the muscles attach onto. The facets or joints are the um, are all just off to the side, about a finger's breadth to the side of that midline structure. And the facets have nerves that go to them that come into the spinal column at the same level as the leg nerves. So problems with the facets or those joints can mimic pain going down the leg, what we call a pseudo-sciatica. So sciatica is actually just the Greek word meaning pain down the leg, but we've assumed that sciatica came from a herniated disc. So a pseudo-sciatica would be something that comes from, that do, that goes down the leg but doesn't come from a herniated disc. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah that's well put. Um, I, I don't think people appreciate how the other structures uh, really play into low back pain. Back before 1930, uh, 33, I think it was, Mixter and Barr, they, they were elemental in defining the disc pathology related to back pain. Most, prior to that, a lot of people thought it was just sacral joint pain or it was from the facets, whereas now we know about 40% of low back pain, not the pain that goes all the way down your leg, but just low back pain is from the facets or the joints in your back. And there's a sacral contribution to that uh, uh, number as well. So not... Everything relevant to your back has to do with the disc. So I'm going, to tell, uh, I'm going to tell your viewers a couple of other structures. So if you've got your thumbs there in the midline, if you move your thumbs outward just a little bit on the top of the iliac crest and run from side to side, you'll actually sometimes feel a ligament that runs there. That's called the iliolumbar ligament. And tenderness of that ligament can actually refer pain across the top of the hip 
onto the sides of the hip and even into the groin and into the, for guys, into the testicles. So if somebody, if you're feeling like your testicle is in a vice, and that's what the patients use that term all the time, chances are it's not necessarily something you need to see the urologist about. It may be coming from that ligament. If you drop your thumbs down to that the the um, ball of bone that you feel that was the posterior superior iliac spine or PSIS that we talked earlier that's very very um, likely to be related related to a problem with the sacroiliac joint. If you move your thumbs more to the outside about that level, you'll feel in between two muscles. And there's often a you'll you'll feel a, a sharp spot in between those two muscles, and that's called the superior gluteal nerve. And though that nerve can get pinched between those two muscles, the top muscle is called the gluteus medius, and the bottom muscle is the piriformis that we've always dis- already discussed about. And the piriformis muscle is running from the tailbone over to the side of your hip, so it's running more horizontally. The that muscle, as I've said earlier, can pinch down on the sciatic nerve, and that can cause pain or numbness going down your leg, and can mimic a herniated disc. The and it'll also cause what a lot of people will call hip pain. And then um, if you go down to the sitting bone itself, that's called the ischium, and there's a ligament that runs from the tailbone down to that ischium. It's called the sacro. Uh, that's called the ischial tuberosity is that sitting bone, and so the ligament is called the sacro-tuberous ligament. And the and then you shouldn't be able really to feel in between the bones of the spine. So if you can feel in between those bones, chances are that the ligament that holds the spine together has gotten stretched, and that'll put a forward pressure on the disc and may even cause a central disc bulge or a central disc herniation, but the nerves that go to that ligament come into the spinal column at the same level as the leg nerves and can cause pain going down the legs. In fact, in 1933 and then again in 1954, um, they took medical students, and of course you could do anything with medical students in those days, and injected an irritating medicine into the ligament. It was a hypertonic saline. And had the students map out where they were hurting, and they mapped out a pattern of pain that was identical to what we now think of as coming from a herniated disc. So those now each of those issues is treated entirely differently. So it's very, very important to make the distinction between those. Yeah, and talk a little bit about what hurts, um, like the posterior longitudinal ligament. Start there, and don't forget your friend, uh, the clunial nerve. Ah, bless your heart. Yeah, if if you uh, the the clunial nerve is sort of a private joke between us because it's a nerve that actually comes from the bottom of the rib cage and comes down um, at an angle and comes across the top of the hip bones where you have your hands resting, just to the outside of the big square muscle that's there on your back called the quadratus lumborum. And the nerve gets trapped there, and it also will cause pain going down the leg. And the clunial nerve was uh, a nerve that I identified a a long time ago as a potential cause of pain, and yet for years had other uh, doctors poo-poo the idea. But it's now become well-recognized as a cause of pain that can mimic low back pain. So you also have pain um, the inside the disc. So the disc itself 
is sort of like a one of those jelly donuts is what we've described it with a soft gel center and a fibrous outside covering and that gel is actually very irritating sort of like what you see in one of those freezer packs where it says do not you know caution caustic inside so that gel pack is what acts as the shock absorber you know those dr shell's dr shoal's gelling um (laughs) issue inserts but when it has too much pressure on the disc um, or when the disc loses oxygen, in fact, we've been able to show a 50% decrease in the oxygen in a disc with a single cigarette, another reason why you need to stop smoking. People need to stop smoking. Yeah, a girl. But it, um, the, the disc center stops, starts losing its fluidity, it, its gel form, and it starts to deteriorate. And the outside covering which is called the annulus can get brittle like rubber when it gets old starts to crack and as it cracks that disc material inside can start leaking out to the edges of the annulus or act outside the annulus altogether and this is battery acid and so it can cause irritation of the nerves that are going to the annulus which, by the way, come into the spinal column at the same level as the leg nerves. Again, you've got lots of nerves coming into the spinal column all at the same level. And the brain will interpret that as pain going down the leg, just as if you were having a heart attack. You might have pain or numbness going down your arm. There's not anything going wrong with the arm nerves in that situation. It's because the nerves that go to the heart and the nerves that go to the arm come together at the same level of the spinal column, and the brain interprets that as pain going down the arm. It doesn't make the arm pain any less, but you wouldn't get that operating on the arm nerve. So you'll get pain going down the leg from what we call an internal disc disruption that may not show up on an MRI at all. And there we might have to put a needle in the disc and pressurize the disc with dye and see where the dye leaks out and to see if pressurizing the disc replicates the pain. What's that called? So that's called the discogram. Yeah. Yeah. The um, there are ligaments that hold those bones together, both in the front of the ligament, uh, the front of the vertebral body, the back of the vertebral body, um, and then on the um, on the back side of the of the collection of nerves in the center. So you've got nerves coming down like the roots of a tree. The spinal cord ends about the middle of your back. Those nerve roots come out and they travel out through openings um, between the facets and the vertebral bodies. And they travel out like roots, the roots of a tree. And they're floating in spinal fluid. And that spinal fluid is surrounded by a, a, a sac um, or a membrane um, that's called the dura. And then the epidural space is the area between the spinal fluid, the spinal, the dura, the lining of the spinal fluid, and the bone. So the epidural space would be like the packing material that keeps the spinal cord from rattling around. And then as you come further toward the back, there's a strong ligament holding the back part of the bones together, which is called the ligamentum flavum, and that can cause pain. So there are all of these structures, any one of them singly or in any combination, can be causing pain. And none of those things that we've described so far have anything to do with the pressure of a disc herniating and hitting a nerve root. Yeah, I might just throw in here that... uh Depending on the region we're talking about, say cervical versus lumbar, the actual bones aren't exactly the same. They're a little more square-like in the cervical region and rounder in the lumbar region. And why is that important? Well, because the 
that ligament you were talking about, that firm ligament, um, might determine where a disc may herniate, whereas in the cervical spine it's very firm. It might uh, cause a herniation to favor going sideways, whereas in the lumbar region it's not as firm and it's it's more roundish, and uh, so that would change where the disc might bulge or herniate. And you're absolutely right. When you do get a herniation and you get that uh, that jelly, that that stuff from the center, uh, extravasate out and get into a place where a nerve can feel it, that really hurts. And so we do certain things about that, such as transferaminal epidural injections with steroids, things like that. What else? What else are, stru- are painful structures or what else yeah. can we do? Well, uh, both. <laughs> I, well, I think at this point it really becomes important to recognize that none of the things we've talked about show up uh, can be diagnosed on an MRI. And so the thing that makes um, our specialty, I think, unique is the ability to make these diagnoses. So I think I've said it before on the show that we really ought to be the cardiologist of pain. So if somebody has chest pain, unless they're having an acute MI, they don't go to the cardiothoracic surgeon, they go to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist decides where their pain's coming from, might do the um, the minimally invasive diagnostic study, which would be the catheterization, might do the minimally invasive treatment like a stent or a um, an angioplasty, puts the patients on the appropriate medicines, and it's if and only if the patient has a documented surgical problem that has not responded to medical management that they ever end up going to the cardiothoracic surgeon. Unfortunately, people with low back pain, the first thing that happens is they get sent to a surgeon. And if the surgeon sees something that can be operated on, on an MRI, they'll offer to operate on the, on the MRI, not on the patient, but they, op- they operate on what they see on the MRI, which may or most likely does not, may not be what's actually causing the problem. So what an interventional pain physician should be doing, and I think patients with low back pain should see a pain doctor before they see a surgeon, um, the interventional pain doctor can put can examine them under x-ray. I actually put a marker on the skin where the patient's hurting, and I take a picture of it. Now I've got a picture of where they're hurting. And then I can put a, um, a small needle right on that structure and put a small dose of local anesthetic there. If the local anesthetic makes the pain go away, then I know exactly where the problem's coming from. I can deliver the anti-inflammatory medicines exactly on that spot. And if that makes the pain go away, but only temporarily, I could potentially kill the nerves that are going to that area, just like you would do a root canal on a tooth. So we're sort of a combination, I guess, of a dentist and a cardiologist all rolled up in one. Yeah. I I threw out the term transferaminal uh, epidural injection. People might get a little confused. An epidural injection has different names. Uh, what I'm talking about is putting medicine right at the site of pathology, exactly what you just said, for a dense application of drug, exactly where it needs to be as diagnostic and therapeutic. It's actually treatment, too. And there's other types of epidurals. So... That's a fantastic run around the world of the spine and uh, spinal structures. Okay, now let's let's kind of wrap up diagnosing low back pain. We know we can we can do surface anatomy examinations. We can do palpation or touching. We can use um, certain diagnostic techniques using needles and fluoroscopic guidance. And what it comes right down to at the end of the day, what do you do with somebody with this back pain? 
I've got back pain, and it comes and goes and sometimes puts me to my knee. Well, you can't treat what you can't diagnose. So sometimes, well, usually what we ideally have is we know from the physical exam, from the from the diagnostic studies, we know exactly, and from the, the injections that we've done, we know exactly where the problem's coming from. And depending on what it is, just like that dentist can do a filling or a crown or, or a cap or a root canal or even pull the tooth, we have, depending on what structure it is, we have a variety of things that we can potentially do. Sometimes we don't, can't really tell quite where the problem's coming from, often because it's been going on so long that there's so much other stuff going on. So there I think of um, using epidur- some of the epidurals too. I- yeah. <coughs> Bless me. you. That was coming from, yeah, that was, I guess I was. That was an Alaskan sneeze. Yeah. That's an Alaskan <laughs> sneeze. Um, the, sometimes there's too much fire, too much smoke, and we can't really tell where the fire is because people are hurting in too wide an area, too large an area. So there I think of, um, the some of the epidural steroids as being a shotgun approach to try and put medicine in a wide area. So you can put the um, medicine in that epidural space that I described. You can do it in between the bones of the backbone, which is an, those bones are called the lamina, and so it's an intralamina injection. You can do it from the tailbone. There's a little opening in the tailbone that, that goes into that epidural space, and that's called a caudal epidural. Or as you described, Hans, you can in- inject an individual nerve root as it comes out the opening of the spinal column. So the opening is called the foramen. And so when we slide a needle back into that opening, is called a transforaminal epidural. Uh, if we think it's a facet, we can numb up the nerves that are going to the facets or put medicine inside the facet joint itself. If it's a problem with the sacroiliac joint, uh, putting numbing medicine and anti-inflammatory medicine in the joint. If we think it's a disc, we can, um, as I said, pressurize the disc. If it's leaking, we can actually heat seal the outside of the disc. Um, if we think the problem is coming from the ligament holding the spine together, we can look at um, regenerative injection therapy, such as prolotherapy, stem cell factors, platelet-rich plasma, or even stem cells. So it all depends on where the problem's coming from to be able to treat it. So taking out your appendix, it's a wonderful surgery if the problem is appendicitis, but it doesn't do a whole lot of good if your your abdominal pain is coming from your gallbladder. So it's absolutely critical to make a good diagnosis. Yeah, we'll put. I, I'm just going to uh, end the segment by saying one one thing that I think uh, we kind of gloss over every once in a while. We all do it. Is Usually pain is complex. It's usually not just one problem. And patients get discouraged when they don't get all better. Well, you have to look at it like sometimes we can improve you, improve your quality of life, your function, um, but, you know, I can't make you 19. And so you look at the modifiable features in the health profile that you can change, you can do something about, and change the history, the natural history forward of the problem. You said smoking, and that's going to be a whole other podcast, but you nailed it. Um, smokers, they tend to get uh, accelerated uh, degenerative disease in the cervical and lumbar spine, and particularly women, and it's fast, you know, because it starts showing up at age 30, so... Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, if you want to if you want to start talking about smoking, we can go all night about that because it's um, not only does it 
um, affect the discs, but it affects the ligaments. It changes the metabolism of the drugs. So, yes, we talk about this as pain management, not pain cure. We don't cure diabetes. We don't cure hypertension. We don't cure most of the conditions that we would hardly even cure cancer. We just modify it and manage it and keep it at bay and try and keep patients as functional as possible. That's why it's so important to see the pain management early rather than late. Once somebody's had their back operated on, I can't make that structure new again. I can't if somebody's cut the the wires going to a suspension bridge, I can't I have no wires to resuspend that bridge and it just changes the stresses on uh, on either side of that area. So a fusion for instance may stabilize that particular portion but it just dramatically accelerates the stresses put on the areas above and below. So I strongly strongly recommend that people get at least an evaluation by an interventional pain physician before you consider seeing a surgeon because the best surgeon in the world if they're operating on the wrong problem can't possibly get you better yeah well put well i'm going to say something about uh, the cdc guidelines that are coming out and uh this is the centers for disease control they're not out yet but the comment period which was only a month between december and and mid-january um is completed and what am i talking about here well Opioids, uh, as we've heard in other uh, podcasts, are either a a great thing or a terrible thing. Um, They can improve people's lives or they can take it away. And what we've seen, unfortunately, is an opioid epidemic that is now uh, resulting in more deaths than from auto accidents. And it's around 19,000 people a year. That's a lot. So... Overdoses are, are much more than that. And when you think about the devastating effects and the cost to society of just an overdose itself and to the human uh, toll it takes because addiction is a family disease, um, it's, it's just something society has to react to. So I think the reaction is needed. I'm not sure we've got all the right answers because they didn't have all the right stakeholders in helping us uh, take this very prestigious organization, the CDC, and take it to an answer. So I think it's still a work in progress, but when you drill everything right down, it's access to pain care and access to health care. We don't want the government just limiting what my tools are when I have a patient in front of me. It's between me and them, and I think you would agree with that. We have to use our skills. That's rule four, know thy meds. And we have to apply those skills based on diagnosis, history, and clinical findings. So when we start getting these guidelines, the waters get very murky what we can do. So how does that relate to you, uh, the patient in the physician's um, examination room? In the back of the physician's mind, he's thinking, I know these guidelines are out there. What happens if something ha- it goes wrong with this patient or a family member? And am I liable or, or what? We don't know. So guidelines are a double-edged sword and a work in progress. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, the problem is is the guidelines are made for the general population and not for a specific. And they were supposed to be that, just a guide. Um, it would guidelines were developed so that 
if a physician had the time to go through all the available literature and information, this is the decision that that physician would likely have made for himself or herself. But what it's turned out to be, guidelines have become dictums. They become rules instead of recommendations. And uh, we're getting now the insurance companies that are refusing to approve um, prescriptions that are not um, following the guidelines. So, uh, you know, you get somebody who might need four a day of a medication, and but the guidelines say they that three should be enough. Well, then the patient only gets three, even if four is what they really need. So this um, this it, it, the whole concept of guidelines has been perverted and um, is being misused, and everybody and his brother is creating them. I, I loved that the neurologists were creating guidelines for uh, for epidural steroids, which they don't do. Um, I was right. it would be like a like a brain surgeon telling a gynecologist what they should be doing with uh, a hysterectomy. It's just ridiculous. Um, but everybody and his brother thinks they understand pain. And unfortunately, we do have a lot of unscrupulous doctors because people will pay for um, pain medicines. And it's um, another one just got uh, um, just got sentenced last week where they were using they were just selling drugs for um, for money and you know they'll uh, pay five hundred dollars and I'll give you a prescription for whatever you want so it's it's sad that um, patient that that a few bad ac- apples have ruined it for everyone, including the patients. So now these patients are now having to be treated like drug addicts and they're being, um, they're being herded into a, a trying to make a one size fit all. And it's just been, um, it, it's a pervert, as I said, a perversion of what it was we, they were designed to do. And it's been a detriment in many, many, many ways to the um, appropriate treatment of patients. Amen. And I don't want one patient that comes to see me, and you don't either, to feel stigmatized, to go in there feeling like, oh, no, I'm in a pain clinic. No, you're in a place you can get help. That's what I want them to feel when they walk through the door, not that uh, we're putting a label on them. And I, I guess what I'll do is I'll, I'll update the CDC guidelines uh, saga. There's 12 guidelines, some I agree with, um, but others are a little sketchy. I will suggest that the listeners go to the American Society of Interventional Pain for Physicians website, ASIPP.org, O-R-G, and if you want something that's uh, <laughs> in the weeds, um, they uh, have developed uh, opioid guidelines and interventional guidelines that anybody can download. And they're, they're, they're for providers and physicians, but they're readable. Uh, there's a lot of uh, free literature from that organization that's uh, a fantastic organization. Andrea's past president. As are you, Hans. Yep. <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got our heart and soul in there. And those guidelines um, and the free literature through the Pain Physician Journal are um, top-notch, uh, world-class, and, in fact, referenced throughout the world. So if the readers ever want to find something out, uh, see the stuff we're reading. That's where you can go. 
So it's interesting. I've actually published several, as you know, published several articles. I've had I've had patients from all over the world that found those articles and contacted me, and I've actually treated patients from all over the world based on the articles I wrote that were read on pain physicians. So it's an amazingly wonderful resource. And the founder is uh, Laxmaya uh, Manchikanti, uh, a remarkable man um, uh, on from both sides of the world. And I'm going to maybe do a whole podcast on him sometime. It's worth it. Uh, I'm looking forward to maybe getting uh, Gabor Rax on. Uh, he's um, a man of he world stature. He seems very interested. And, you yep. know, there's another, there's another amazing guy who spent his entire career. Uh, his story of how he left Budapest just makes gives you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And his his life path has been amazing, but he's also changed the face of pain management and um, and spent um, thirty years doing it. And he's been just a wonderful resource. I was working with him um, actually last weekend. Oh, you are in Dallas, and so uh, huh. just uh, my my hero. So I'm looking forward to listening to his uh, discussion with you. Well, Andrea, I'm going to wrap it up here. I appreciate you coming on and just uh, laying it out. I, you do it so well. Um, all these tough subjects that are so common that we need a new perspective on because back pain is is proliferating. There, disability is going up where incidence isn't, but um, we got to know what to do with it because we don't want people having a crummy quality of life. We don't want to see them getting on a bunch of meds they don't need or get surgery they don't need. We want to do it right. So thanks again, and uh, stay warm in Alaska, huh? <laughs> Take care, Hans. All right. Bye-bye now. Andrea's great. We're always really lucky to have her on, and thank you again, Andrea. Um, up there in Alaska, they're getting five more minutes of sunlight a day. So she, she was telling me that um, she gets up, gets into the office the sun is trying to come up and then when she leaves the office the sun is down but soon that's going to (laughs) flip so summers in uh, alaska um, i can't wait to get up there Uh, i just think it's one of the most beautiful places and in the west in general uh, i miss uh, seeing the mountains so anyway thanks again please leave a review and um, i'm hopefully going to have some real interesting guests on uh, in the near future but until then um Listen, if if you got if you got a question and you want us to talk about it, please let us know. This is an informational st- uh, station. It's not it's not a recommending treatments or anything like this. You got to talk that over with a qualified provider. But it's trying to get you answers, the right answers for the right reasons. Cease it.